You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football season is here and it's time to bet with my bookie. Use promo code GATERS and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me for this finally game week episode is Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will, we finally made it. We weren't sure if we would ever get here. If you go back all the way to the spring, weren't sure if we'd have a football season. Football season has started. SEC's delayed a little bit, but here we come, late September, different than all the, all the years before it. Not kicking off Labor Day weekend or, or, or weekends around that, but uh, here we go. We can finally, finally preview a football game. Yeah, man, no more Clemson versus the Citadel. So yeah. we're, uh, we're final. It, it, the reality is all we really did was miss the two cupcakes to start the year. True. And, and now the real schedule starts. We've got a couple extra SEC games on the tilt. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's still probably going to come down to the cocktail party heading up in, uh, in early November. So, But an exciting, an exciting time for Florida football, obviously, coming off of two straight big bowl wins, two successful seasons under Dan Mullen. Got Kyle Trask coming back. And, and so a lot of optimism around Gainesville. And, and, you know, hey, we're all part of it. We're 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 fans first, and so it's always fun to get the, get the game rolling. Yeah, a lot of hype, of course, behind this season, but just so ready to get it started. Just because, man, just we re, we just wanted some football, and we just and, and after watching the last two weeks, we want some good football. So that's the, we, we we need that to happen. And hey, look, I, I look the first game of the season. You know, last year versus Miami, of course, it was week zero, but it was a night game. I had car trouble that day, so it kind of, you know, went, went different anyway, going down to Orlando. But, you know, I, I, I don't mind kicking off at noon. I'm, I'm ready. It's the first game of the season. I'm, when game day goes off, I, I'm kind of glad Florida's, that Florida's kicking off at noon just to go ahead and get, let us see our Gators pretty quick and, and get the game over with. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think obviously the night games are always fun and, and that sort of stuff. But um, everything about this year is different. And, you know, it's not as though we're going to be tailgating up there in Oxford. So, yeah. <laughs> so get the game on the TV, start off the day. Everybody's going to be jacked at the SEC starting. So you got a big it's not a primetime slot, but it's a big time slot because everybody's going to be watching the game. And 
And to be honest, that's kind of how it's going to be all year long, just because SEC versus SEC is always going to draw the most eyeballs because it's the best conference. So, um, you know, it's exciting to see. And, and obviously, um, just everything's so strange with the ACC starting a couple weeks ago. I mean, you know, Georgia Tech and Florida State was a decent yeah. appetizer, especially since since Georgia Tech pulled that one out. Now we got UCF shooting off saying they're the best program in Florida <laughs> after they took out Georgia Tech. Maybe when they take out Georgia, they can start talking about being the best program in Florida. But, uh, you know, hey, it's all, it's all good fun, right, man? If, 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 if fan bases aren't coming at each other, all we've got left to talk about is politics. So thank goodness uh, thank goodness football season's starting so that Twitter can be fun again. Yeah, I'm already tired of Miami fans just because they beat Louisville. So, I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, let's calm know, down a little bit. It, I gotta be honest that that running back really just completely blew blew by the linebacker. I mean, it was it was it was it was fantastic coverage. I don't know how the quarterback was able to fit it in there. Um, yeah, Louisville looked looked about as ready for prime time as uh, as the Atlanta Falcons did the other day on the onside kick. So, um, you know, it's it's funny the the narratives always change so quickly yeah. when it comes to football because it's a once a week thing. You build up the hype, and then all of a sudden something weird and unexpected happens, and it sort of resets everything in a new framework. That's part of why we love it so much, but it's also part of what makes it so so interesting it gives fan bases the ability to to talk trash to each other so you know bring it on hurricanes we'll uh you go undefeated we'll go undefeated and we'll kick your butt in the playoff there we go let's uh, i wouldn't mind that happen we get do we finally get our trash versus the eric king matchup so <laughs> well i mean it, it, that that would that would be the first time they've ever won their division in the conference right so yeah the first time yeah first time they would they would have won the acc since joining so it seems likely uh yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, coming up this episode. So, yeah, we'll uh, talk. Uh, Dan Mullen had his uh, presser uh, on Monday, kind of previewing Ole Miss a little bit. Uh, of course, uh, injury injury update. Uh, depth chart got released. And of course, I don't really go too far w- with the depth chart into the season, but the first one's always fun to look at uh, anyway, especially this year, uh, given, given all that we went through. Uh, of course, we'll uh, get into our kind of predictions and season superlative things that we do uh, before the first game of the season. So Will and I will pick our over-under on some of our uh, you know favorite stats that we look at with this team, and uh, some uh, you know pick some uh, players to, to you know, maybe break out or you know who's the hardest to or has biggest shoes to fill and all that good stuff. So always fun time uh, doing that, and then looking back at it at the end of the year and seeing how right or wrong uh, we were, mostly wrong. So <laughs> uh, always fun though. Will. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you've got the my bookie ad, so really people ought to just fade us. And, you know, whatever either one of us says, bet the opposite direction, you'll make way more money that way. There we go. There we go. Uh, before we get started, remember, you can get uh, Gators Breakdown merchandise at ebay.com slash str slash Gators Breakdown. New look merchandise there with a the Gators Breakdown logo and a couple of uh, neat, neat designs there. So you can find them there at ebay.com slash str slash Gators Breakdown. And remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes and News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. Subscribe on YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube right now or catching us uh, when we're not live, hit that like button. It really helps us out. And check out Gators Breakdown on your favorite podcast platform if you can't check the video version on YouTube. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media, on Twitter, and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. 
So said Mullen met with the media uh, today here. Nothing earth-shattering, uh, Will, too much. Uh, Mullen was pretty much discussing, of course, how excited they are to, to finally get the season going and, and the difficulties in preparing for Ole Miss as everything is new uh, with Lane, Cliff, Lane Kiffin and the, and the defense that they'll be playing this season for, for, for the Rebels. So, of course, the, the headline, he did discuss injuries and the, the ones of note here, Ethan White being out with a knee injury, Mullen does say he'll be, you know, maybe back shortly. Um, when we're here behind the scenes, I, I don't think Ethan White's going to be back shortly at all. So <laughs> uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, um, Ethan Pouncey out for the season with hip surgery. That kind of came out over the weekend as well. And defensive lineman Lamar Goods uh, is out. Finley Graham also out uh, for, for a little while as well, Will. So, of course, we'll get into the depth chart here. That'd be the next topic we get into but of course the big one uh kind of rumored there for for a couple weeks now that uh, ethan white uh will be out and you're going to move to center maybe get the starting position uh at play playing center there where that would allow heggy to, to play left guard uh but now looking at it with ethan white out uh you know florida uh, i think the, the easiest way to put it for me now uh, i know he's only you know only in the second year here but you know to me that already puts florida where their five best offensive linemen are not going to be on the field yeah, you know, I mean, I think, I think Ethan White obviously carved himself a, a spot last year, both with how hard he worked during the offseason and then how he was able to integrate himself in after Chris Blake decided to leave the program. Um, but you've also got Stuart Reese coming in as a transfer, and so you've picked up a guy there. Um, and then you figure that everybody else with Garage sort of stepping up, they've got him listed as start, starting at left guard. And and then, you know, DeLance, you would expect one more year, having a year of experience, um, that the offensive line is probably going to be okay. The biggest issue is going to be depth, right? Yep. That, it, that if it takes White a while to get back, you probably really struggle if you sustain another injury in there. But, you know, I mean, I think the reports coming out of camp were that White was doing a really good job pushing the pile at center, and that's really what you need. And it's actually one of the things when you look back on the film last year that was kind of a weakness for the offensive line. But I don't know how it could be worse. I mean, the offensive yeah. line was, was – the running game was really bad last year because the running backs just couldn't get ahead of steam. And it wasn't like it was one guy where there was a giant hole in the offensive line and, hey, Stuart Reese is going to come in and fix this. It was collectively the entire unit is going to have to get better because sometimes it was Heggie screwing it up. Sometimes it was Forza screwing it up. Sometimes it was DeLance screwing it up. Sometimes it was White screwing it up. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't always the same guy doing the same thing. So I, I think when it comes to – Losing White, obviously, it's a big deal. At the same time, you suspect that they have probably been doing way more cross-training mm -hmm. than they were in the years previous just because of, of COVID and some of the things associated with that. And so you hope that they have guys who are far more prepared to step into that role, particularly because some of the redshirt freshmen, you know, you've now got Griffin McDowell on there. You've got Kingsley Gwekwin who are listed as, as you know, on the two deep. Those guys have been in the system for a couple of years now and should have been able to pick up some things that maybe some of the true freshmen haven't and really give them an opportunity to maybe maybe get some run. Yeah, so that we'll go with there, and, and we'll kind of brought it up here. And there we go. Depth chart uh, for the Gators that was uh, released today. And, yeah, I mean, Will, you, you brought it up there. Uh, left to right for the offensive line, Forsyth, Garage, Heggie at center now. Stuart Reese at right guard, right tackle, Gene DeLance. And I know, I mean, the timeline went crazy with it, seeing Gene DeLance there at right tackle. And, look, it's even come out that uh, he, was, he was playing injured last year. Was that the, the, the excuse for all of the bad play? Well, probably not. But, you know, can, you can excuse some of it there. And, look, and, and I'll bring this up a whole lot when we're looking at players on the defensive side of the ball. And, and, and no matter what, 
what's wrong with the thought that players can get better? If we're, if we're going to give Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham and this coaching staff a whole lot of credit for being able to develop players, then why can't players get better? And I know it looked bad at times. I know it looked terrible at times. But if you really believe in this staff's ability to develop, it can't just be about getting a freshman and making that freshman better. It's got to be making a second year and a third year player even better, you know, going into their last year. We saw it with the offensive line for Florida uh, in 2018. You know, that's, uh, it, was, it was an experienced group, but we didn't think very highly of that group going in that 2018 season. By the time season's in, we, we thought pretty highly of that offensive line. So, yes, you know, older players can get better. Uh, as well and we'll even go back to and I was talking to Uncle Silk about this on Twitter and you know he, he kind of brought up the same point you know why can't players get better and I was like look I mean you go back to 2006 2007 2008 you had that great Florida defense in 2006 lost all so many pieces and then 2007 rolls around and you have to insert a whole bunch of guys and they're not ready and you would have never predicted that defense to be as good as they were going from 2007 to 2008. A lot of that's to do with recruiting and 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 and, 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 and working with a you know a high ceiling and a low floor when you when you look at recruiting rankings. But you go and look at that 2007 season and how they just couldn't get the job done in that very last game of the season versus Michigan. You would have never predicted that 2007 defense to take that huge jump in in, in 2008. So you know I I do think you know we. we I know it was ugly at times on the offensive line, and a lot of people pointed fingers at, at Gene DeLance, but all reports, or well not all, but you know, a lot of reports coming out of camp was, you know, even before the white injury, he was pushing for, for that starting right tackle job. So I guess, you know, I, I hate to just kind of lay it down and say, you know, trust the coaches, but first game of the season, let's, you know, let's trust him till we, till we see something different. Yeah, I mean, I think whenever you look at someone's performance, to, to the point that you made about people just getting better, whenever you look at their performance, you want to understand, are they getting beat physically or are they getting beat mentally from the standpoint of did they not did they not take the right assignment? And I think last year when you look at DeLance's play, you could see somebody who was, who was relatively tentative, right? There were times, especially early on in the year, I was looking at some LSU film earlier this week and, and probably have something out later this week on the site dealing with it, that when, we were, when you looked at the LSU film, there were an awful lot of times where the Tigers stunted and the offensive line didn't do a real good job of picking it up. And the number of times that that happened in the Florida State game later in the year was significantly less. Doesn't mean they were perfect, Offensive line is never going to be perfect, but the fact that it had improved from game five until, you know, game 12 or 13, I think is a good indication. And when you saw them get a month off between the game against Florida State and the bowl game, obviously they came out and were able to run the ball much, much better against Virginia. So I do think that there's an opportunity for for development. I think Hevesy really has a track record for doing that. That's one of the reasons I thought the offensive line was going to be better last year is that he has a track record of, of really improving offensive lines throughout the year. But what that meant was the question was, what was the baseline? And the baseline last year was was pretty poor, let's be honest, right? But at the same time, you had a guy in Chris Blake who left you know, before the end of the year. So was it because he wasn't taken to the coaching? Was it because the coaches just decided they needed to put somebody else in there? You know, I don't necessarily know. But at the same time, you know, all of a sudden, when they put White in there, it seemed to really kickstart stuff. Garage was sort of in and out of the lineup as well. And I think when they settled on him, the offensive line started to be a little bit, little bit better. So just being able to settle on those guys 
and make sure they're comfortable that they're not coming out if they make a mistake and getting them comfortable with the schemes so that they're not making mental mistakes and allowing their physical prowess to take over. I think, you know, you talk about the defense from 2007 to 2008. Joe Hayden didn't get any, didn't get that much better between 2007 and 2008 physically, but I'm pretty sure he got a lot better at that covering because mm-hmm. he knew the scheme a lot better. Right. I think that's sort of what you're looking at yeah. is, you know, the ability of Hevesy and the ability of Mullen to trust the line. And then the other thing I think that we do need to take into account is Stuart Reese has played right tackle. Mm-hmm. So if Mullen didn't like DeLance at right tackle, Reese would be playing right tackle. And the fact that he's got Reese playing right guard, I think is indicative of the fact that he's got some trust in DeLance and that, you know, for all of the, for all of the offensive line experts out there, when you really look at the film, Oftentimes, when when the quarterback gets drilled and it looks like a missed assignment, it's not always the guy who was right in front of him who had the missed assignment. A lot of it depends on what the play was actually supposed to do. And sometimes it's hard, even for people who know what they're doing, without knowing what the play call is, to say, oh, that's Delance's fault. Oh, that's Heggie's fault. Oh, that's Buchanan's fault. Um, so uh, there weren't a lot of times that I saw Delance get physically beaten last year. Most of the time when he got beat, it was because you know there was a stunt, didn't get picked up correctly. Is it his fault? Is it the other guy's fault a lot of it depends on how they're scheming it and and i suspect that that's going to be a lot better this year and again the baseline this year is going to be higher than the baseline was last year and i would expect the baseline to be around where they were at the start of 2018 and so hopefully by the end of of 2020 we're going to see an offensive line that's just as good as that 2018 one was yeah, hope so. Hope so. A lot of you know, some pieces to move, to move around there. One less now with White, but uh, hopefully, uh, Gators can figure out something there. And Will, as we continue to look at the depth chart, now for one thing, I want to put out what the depth chart is. Nothing set in stone here, uh, and uh, I don't put a whole lot of stock into it. You know, why, why, why are you giving Ole Miss a, a whole lot of uh, things to prepare for? You know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, there. So, uh, but you know, wide receiver. Uh, here we go. Jacob Copeland, Justin Shorter. And uh, Kadarius Tony, Trent Whittemore listed as the second team wide receiver will. And then Trevon Grimes and Xavier Henderson, a true freshman, uh, there as well listed uh, on the early season depth chart. You know, big bodied receivers will. I mean, these guys, you know, six, six, four, if you, if you want to look at the size, you know, six, four and, and, and taller out there. And Florida's got some big bodied receivers. We know that Dan Mullen uh, likes to use his receivers uh, to, to, to block here. Um, Running back, Malik Davis or Damian Pierce. And I think if you would have polled a lot of Gator fans uh, in, in putting, a, putting a depth chart in, there probably wouldn't have been a whole lot of oars for Malik Davis or Damian Pierce. It would have just been Damian Pierce and then Malik Davis. But, uh, you know, we've talked to Malik Davis a couple times during uh, fall camp and in his Zoom interviews. Uh, and, you know, all reports are, you know, he, he's really – Maybe trusting himself, trusting himself after that injury just a bit more. Uh, so Malik Davis gets an or there. is listed as one of the first uh, running backs there. And Will and when I, and kind of going back to the Miami fan part of it. Believe me, they they looked at this uh, depth chart here and re- noticed Lorenzo Lingard wasn't listed and had a little bit of fun with it. So I'm just like, okay, well, first of all, there's three guys there and three guys who've been in the program already. I know a lot of people, you know, expect a lot of things from Lingard, the five star running back transfer from Miami. I don't take it as a big hit that he's not on here. I mean, he's transferred. He's still learning, especially when you have Malik Davis and Damian Pierce there. He wasn't going to be listed with or in front of those guys at all. Uh, by all accounts, Naquan Wright, who's the third running back listed on the depth chart, is having a really nice camp. 
Look, first, I mean, I'd probably put him even with Wright uh, at the point. You're not going to sit there and list every running back on the roster on the depth chart right here. So, uh, you know, not seeing Lorenzo Lingard is here for one is not a huge surprise, and two is not really all that disappointing to me. I mean, I, I, I guess. I mean, obviously, we, we look at it and say, hey, it's a five-star transfer. You would expect to see him on the depth chart. At the same time, oftentimes, the first game depth chart is sort of a reward for the guys who've been in the program. Mm-hmm. And, and Malik Davis, you know, he's gotten a lot of praise from Mullen this year. And maybe that's not, or at least this this fall, and maybe that's not something that Gator fans were necessarily expecting. But I also think a lot of us forget that back in 2017, Davis was the best not the best running back. He was the best offensive player on the team <laughs> back during that 2017 season as a true freshman. So, and that included uh, a backfield with LaMichael Piron in it as well. Absolutely. So Davis, and the other thing I think is that one of the things everybody looks at is they look at the running back and say, oh, this guy's a better runner. And that's not, you know, that's a third of his job. The, the second third is catching the ball out of the backfield, which we know Davis is pretty good at doing. And the third thing is picking up the blitz. And, and being solid in the block in the blocking game. So it doesn't matter if you run for a thousand yards if Trask gets blasted from behind, you know, three times a year because you completely miss the guy coming up the middle on the blitz. And that was one of the things that I think early on with Jordan Scarlett was one of the reasons why he didn't get a lot of playing time or at least why he split carries. Um, that's one of the things that like Michael Piran was really, really good at was making sure he was in the right spot and either being an outlet on the, in the passing game or being able to pick up the blitz. And so I think that's maybe what you're seeing here is that the guys who have been in the system for an extended period of time are more adept at picking up some exotic things that might be coming. And that is one of the things that I think you need to recognize is that this is the first game of the year, but it is a couple of weeks later than normal. And so it's possible that the defenses could be putting in some things that are exotic and you're going to need your, you're going to need your running back to be solid in all three phases of the game. Yeah. Well, and then I want to just go back here. I mean, yeah, Copeland, you know, six foot there, but Justin Shorter, six, five, Kadarius Tony out there, another receiver, but you know, six foot as well. Trent Wintermore, six four. Javon Graham, six four. Xavier Henderson, six four. I mean, Florida's got some size out there now. Yeah, well, did did you mention Pitts six six? So, right. Yeah, I mean that was just um, receivers, but yeah, you know, of course throw Pitts there as well. I mean, yeah. Well, that's why Zipper is so deep on the depth chart. He's only six two, but. Um, <laughs> You know, obviously, that has been the prototype that Mullen has gone for. I think from the standpoint of even guys like Van Jefferson was was a big receiver. Freddie Swain and Josh Hammond were not small guys. We've talked about it a lot over the offseason. The wide receivers have to block in this scheme. And, and you know, guys like Kadarius Tony are disadvantaged when it comes to going out there and blocking if they have to take on a safety who's, you know, six foot three, 240 pounds. And, you know, a guy like Grimes or a guy like Copeland should be able to hold their ground against those guys. But, um, you know, I, it's actually I'm a little bit surprised to see Whittemore and Henderson there on the depth chart. And some of the guys, you know, from a couple of years ago, Jamarcus Weston and, and, and those guys who are actually at Deontay Marks, I think, were, were recruits in front of yeah. Trent Whittemore. But Whittemore obviously making his way into the depth chart. Part of it is because he's tall, but part of it, I'm sure, is because he's 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 skilled. And also, again, like I said, 6'4", 208. If that guy can block, he's going to open up a lot of stuff just because, you know, if he's if he's sitting there right next to Grimes, they throw a screen out to Grimes. You need your wide receivers to hold up on the blocking. Yeah, Rick Wells, you know, one receiver who's been there for a while, not listed on this early depth chart either. So, 
you know, it makes you wonder. You got uh, Trent Wintermore who hasn't played a down yet, and then and Xavier Henderson, a true freshman, Justin Shorter, a transfer in, you know, all listed uh, on this early depth chart. Like I said, not set in stone, but there's certain things like that that maybe catch your eye for a guy who's been on, you know, campus for a few years now and, and not listed uh, on a depth chart here. So what I think uh, more interesting, of course, is – the other side of the ball uh, in the defense <laughs> and looking uh, at, at that there and no Kyrie Campbell on the defensive tackle at uh, and no Brad Stewart listed and Kyrie Campbell, of course, so we'll address all the rumors there. Maybe he's opted out, uh, not going to play uh, for, for the Gators uh, this fall. Um, I mean, that, that hurts, uh, of course, for, you know, your you know, your defensive tackle depth where, you know, we're in the SEC, you want a, a lot of depth there. Uh, and so we, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe he can opt back in. Maybe there's still some communication going on there. But you know, with the, with the rumors the last couple of weeks, and then now also not listed on the first depth chart, uh, you know, kind of definitely catches your eyes that Kyrie Campbell, uh, as of now, looks like he's not part of the team. And then uh, Brad Stewart, no surprise, I guess, starting game one for however many years now, and he's not going to play <laughs> because of a possible suspension there. So probably pretty expected uh, at, at this point there. Uh, so, of course, Will, you know, immediately the defensive tackle position takes a hit. And, you know, good thing Florida got you know, five stars like, you know, Jervon Dexter, who's listed on this depth chart right here. And mainly because, you know, maybe you know, Campbell uh, is not on there, but uh, five-star true freshman who already has the size to, to go in there and play some defensive tackle, the stats that he brought in with him uh, from, from high school, uh, you know, Dexter could have been proving himself anyway, but of course, you know, he gets a little bit of elevated, gets elevated just a bit here uh, with, with, with what's happening with Kyrie Campbell. Yeah. You know, the big guy there, I think is probably to Darrell Slayton. We had talked about him last week and sort of how he picked it up after the South Carolina game last year. Um, he's going to have to do that again, right? Like he's going to have to be able to hold up in the middle and really, you know, guys at linebacker behind him are kept clean if the defensive tackle can do his job. Yeah, that'll give Gravon Dexter an opportunity to jump in too, but you figure Slayton is the guy as a senior, six foot five, three forty. He's the guy they really want in the center um, of that of that defense to occupy a couple of blockers and free up guys like Cox and Carter and Moon on the end. Um, so I, Slayton is the guy I think you look at as key. The biggest thing there, I, I don't know that there's a huge production difference between Kyrie Campbell and Tadaro Slayton, especially. I actually think the production is probably less if Slayton plays like he did at the end of last year. Um, but the big thing is, is what happens if Slayton goes down or what happens if Florida ends up in a game where the defense is on the field for 85 or 90 plays. Well, all of a sudden now you got a big 340 pound guy. In you know, in South Florida, in Central Florida, who uh, you know it's it's hot, especially early in the year. If for some reason he's chasing around a guy like Plumley and Plumley, well, like if, you know, if he's chasing a guy around, around a guy like Plumley and 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 is getting tired, and old Miss is staying on the field, they're having trouble getting off. You can see how guys up front are going to get tired, and and that's the big thing is you know is Marlon Dunlap going to be able to hold up? He's only two eighty five. Dexter's three oh eight, but he's a true freshman. Carter's a big guy for for sort of a defensive end tackle hybrid, but he's only 290. Um, Cox is 250. So Slayton is really that guy up front who's going to have to hold up, and, and an injury to him could be significant if Campbell's not going to play. Yeah, I mean, that was interesting. You know, Zach Carter there is definitely listed as a, you know, he is a guy who can slide defensive tackle, defensive end. But now with, with that happening, of course, no surprise to see him listed as a defensive tackle here. Um, 
good linebacker a little bit, Will. Mamoudi Abate, a lot of talk uh, about him uh, at linebacker listed behind Amari Bernie at linebacker. Maybe a bit of a surprise there seeing those two names at linebacker for much as we've heard Bernie could fit into that star position as well. And speaking of star, uh, the headline, the one that blew when I when, when I tweeted the depth chart out on Twitter, the 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 biggest besides Delance being at right tackle, the biggest one was C.J. McWilliams being listed at star uh, with Travis Johnson, the true freshman behind him. So will another true freshman making his mark on on this Gators depth chart here? But you know, I know a lot of people harken back to to 2018 and C.J. McWilliams versus Georgia and and how that game played out, kind of forced into some action there, uh, getting picked on, and and that game leads a Sour taste in a lot of fans' fans' mouth there, uh, but you know would you know, we'll kind of get into it too at, at safety. But no Brad, as I said, no Brad Stewart listed, and he uh, was getting talked about playing safety in that nickel star role as well. Uh, but C.J. McWilliams there kind of you know did catch a lot of eyes there being being listed as this depth chart says now as a starter at the star position. Yeah, McWilliams has gotten a little bit of a raw deal considering that he had to play in that Georgia game. I mean, Georgia won at thirty six to seventeen. And and it wasn't just McWilliams who couldn't who couldn't get off the field. Same thing last year. McWilliams had nothing to do with that game last year when the defense couldn't get off the field. And and you know, obviously I'm not gonna come out and say I think he's a lockdown corner. I don't yeah. think he is. At the same time, the star position requires different things than the corner positions on either side. And and so it's entirely possible. You know, I think we all suspect that Trey Dean was playing out of position last year, having him up at the star. They've dropped him back to safety. And now maybe McWilliams was a little bit out of position at corner, so they brought him into star. And if he can play physically and can tackle, and then he's got a little bit better coverage ability than, than say, a guy like Bernie, then you add something. You're essentially at a nickel, even though you've got the guy out there. Um you know, at the star, the, the thing that was surprising to me was Trevez Johnson, true yeah. freshman listed at star. And then Rashad Torrance, true mm-hmm. freshman listed at free safety. Um, you've obviously got Dean falling back to strong safety. You already mentioned Stewart, um, you know, and Davis and Steiner are not list. I mean, they're listed in front of Torrance and Dean, but we saw that a lot last year too, where the, the top two safeties were listed in front of the other two. And then everybody basically played 50% of the snaps. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see this year, whether that happens and then the other thing is, is that Trey Dean obviously has the ability, maybe not, maybe not everybody's satisfaction, but he knows what he's doing if you slide him into star, yeah. right? Amari Bernie knows what he's doing if you slide him out to star. So if Diabate turns out to be, you know, a revelation at linebacker, then you can slide Bernie over to star, and all of a sudden you've got both guys on the field at the same time. And I think that's kind of what you'll end up seeing is depending upon the matchups. And this is the thing where I think football is so interesting compared to other games, which is, you know, if if you're playing a team with a defense with a with a tight end who's as skilled as Kyle Pitts, Amari Bernie is probably a guy mm-hmm. that you would have to slide out to guard that guy. If you're playing against a team that has much more of a blocking tight end, then you put Bernie in at linebacker and you bring in a guy who's maybe a little bit a little bit smaller because you don't necessarily have to worry about guarding the guy in coverage. And you know, so depending upon what the opposing offense is trying to do to you determines who you're going to put in. And I think one of the weaknesses of of um, you know when you're not getting top five recruiting classes is that you do need all that versatility to match up as opposed to just having one guy who can match up in all those circumstances. But the advantage of it is, is that if one guy goes down, you don't lose a whole lot. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that McWilliams got the ire of Gator fans. He's been around for an extent for an extremely long time and he'll probably be back next year too. Right. Cause this year doesn't count. So um, at least in terms of eligibility. So I'm actually a little bit excited to see what will happen. I, I, I think, 
I, I think we see guys get burned in positions when they get put into jobs that, you know, Marco Wilson gets hurt and McWilliams has to come in. Mm -hmm. Well, if Kyrie Elam had been around, Elam would have been the guy who would have slipped in for Wilson when he was hurt, and McWilliams would have been in a position that fit him a little bit better. Um, now we have Kyrie Elam in the system. Marco Wilson's healthy, and so C.J. McWilliams hopefully is going to get to play at a position that he's a little bit more adept for. But, uh, you know, I, I think um, to the point that you made earlier, you have to trust that these guys are getting better when they're on the sidelines, when they're studying the film, when they're getting put in the position that the coaches put them in to help them succeed. And and moving inside is something that's definitely going to help somebody when we've seen the areas that he struggled, which is essentially covering NFL-level wide receivers on the outside against Georgia. Yep, quickly, special teams, Will. So we, before we move on, Kadarius Tony listed, listed as kickoff returner and punt returner. So is Jacob Copeland listed as kickoff returner and punt returner. So uh, you're not kind of talk behind the scenes here. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Kadarius Tony as a returner. Maybe maybe a punt returner more so than a kick returner. But if, if I'm a kick returner, uh, if I want a kick returner back there, I want somebody who's got more straight line speed, not enough, not not a whole lot of dancing. And that's maybe even true at, at punt returner. I just want somebody who's going to catch the ball and get up the field. Uh, I know Kadarius Tony's a playmaker. I'd rather, rather have him do that at wide receiver. Uh, but yeah, for, for me, special teams, I want somebody who's just going to catch the ball and get upfield, get as many yards as possible. You don't break many plays there in, in special teams anyway from punt return and kickoff return. So uh, maybe give me somebody like a true freshman like Xavier Henderson and his speed, put him out there, let him catch it, and just, and just go outrun some people uh, there. So uh, anything else about the depth chart, Will, or a specialist there to catch your eye? Well, I mean, I would just say the thing that really jumped out to me when I looked at this was that they had the kick returner and punt returner as Tony and Copeland. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about these recruiting classes hopefully filling in and allowing Mullen to really emphasize special teams by having highly skilled guys who are maybe a little bit younger make their mark on special teams. Um, this is sort of an indication that some of those younger guys maybe aren't making their mark yet. Now, that doesn't mean they won't. But at the same time, the fact that you would put a guy out there who is one of your starting wide receivers who's been relatively injury prone, um, you know, I, I think speaks to the level of trust that you have. And maybe part of that is that there was no spring practice. So, you know, have you really been able to rep it with mm -hmm. guys who are, who are back there? But, you know, if if halfway through the year, Tony's still returning kicks and punts, I, I think what we're going to say is we got three good wide receivers and, and the backups are a little bit suspect because I do think that's kind of what this points towards is that there hasn't been anybody who's come in and been impressive enough that they've been able to displace Tony because you suspect they would love to have someone displace Tony and reduce the injury risk that he's going to have, you know, especially on kickoff returns. Absolutely, absolutely there. So plenty, plenty more uh, to come up this episode. Uh, there's all the depth chart talk, uh, a lot of our thoughts there uh, going into that. But uh, Ole Miss talk and, like I said, some season superlatives and predictions coming up. But before we get there, winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit, super contest, and survivor streaks. At my bookie, winning season means football season is here and it's your chance to win big. Whether you're a first-time player, a veteran to the game, taking underdogs, or siding with the favorites, the fact is there won't be a better time to get in on the action. Join now using promo code GATERS, and you can grab a free $20 wager with your first deposit to bet on anything in the sports book. That's right. My bookie is giving you the chance to make your first-ever bet a winning one, and it's on the house. Nothing, bets beating, uh, nothing beats betting on football at my bookie, and absolutely nothing beats free money. So join now and take advantage. Don't even think about it. Head over to my bookie now and get your stake in the game. 
That's winning season. And it begins today only at my bookie. So, well, let's take a look at that at Ole Miss right quick. Uh, I'll have a preview later on, the, uh, later on in the week. We'll uh, really dive into to Ole Miss even more. But, uh, well, I'll go back to uh, uh, preseason magazines uh, here. And, um, you know, first game of the season. So, it kind of everything kind of here still holds weight uh, a bit here. And this is with uh, opposing coaches size up Ole Miss. And uh, to put it bluntly, one coach had to say, they're going to struggle, uh, but they're in a better place than the other first-year teams in the league. In the running back position, the quarterback position, you see the talent in the right spots. The egg, ball, the egg Bowl lost Matt Luke the job, but football people would say you had a team that tried to make an identity week to week and kept failing. Lane Kiffin is a vast improvement over any offensive mindset they've had, including Hugh Freeze. The cupboard does not bear at all on offense. Jerry on Ely and John Rice Pumley form a solid base for offensive coordinator Jeff Levy, and almost all their receivers are back. The big question here is, uh, is it on defense, and what kind of line play where are we going to see? That's really been the thing that's held them back during the NCAA sanctions. They got thin on both sides, and it cost them in a lot of games. We expect to see a lot of transfers coming in and winning jobs, especially on defense. DJ Durkin is really the second head coach. Lane is probably going to give him a lot of liberty with the defense. He knows Will Muschamp well, and his scheme fits what uh, that Nick Saban stuff. Lane has a year to figure it out tops. He's going to be entertaining. He's Lane Kiffin. They're going to score points. They're going to embarrass your defense sometimes. But how consistent can they become? How legit can they recruit at Ole Miss? He's the right guy for that culture, but is that culture ever going to produce a consistent winner? We'll find out by next season if this is the old Lane or the new Lane and how badly he wants to win in the grind of the SEC. Some pretty interesting stuff there, Will. Uh, really highly thought of, for the most part, of Lane Kiffin and, and what he can do there. But yeah, Lane trains in Oxford, brings with him, as they said, offensive coordinator Jeff Levy from UCF. And then, Will, I mean, uh, you're bringing a different offense than what Rich Rodriguez was running under, under uh, previous head coach Matt Luke. And Will, with all that, <laughs> Boy, it brings a quarterback controversy with Matt Corral, John Ross Plumley, um, 2019. Look, last year the, the Rebels were fun to watch uh, at times. Uh, five of the losses were by eight points or fewer uh, for Ole Miss. So competitive, even in, even in a lot of the losses there. Uh, the offense finished second in the SEC and ninth in the country in rushing. So uh, you know, be able to uh, run the ball a bit and will. That would probably be my first worry right there. Uh, going back to 2018 and going get, going up against Kentucky in the first SEC game of the season, second game of the season for Dan Mullen, uh, and the Gators had a tough time wrapping up and, and tackling in that game. Last year, opening up with Miami, happened again. Issues wrapping up. Big plays given up because you couldn't tackle. So now you have a, an offseason like no other, a lot of physicality missing. Uh, Florida only scrimmaged twice. Uh, in the last couple of weeks have been a little light in terms of getting you know the bodies ready for the season here. So you know, if Florida shows up like they had the last couple of seasons with, with the issues tackling, and then Ole Miss, and Ole Miss can continue the, their running success from last season with running back Jerrion Ely, who he almost averaged seven yards a carry last season. You know, Will, so that, that's the first thing I'm looking for is how physical this Florida's defense is going to be. You know, and that, that doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not even really necessarily worried about the quarterback play first and foremost for Ole Miss. Given Florida's problem the, early in the season the last two years, I want to, I want to go see him out there and, and, and see him tackle and, and hit and wrap up and, and just cause a lot of havoc on defense in, the, in that form. 
Yeah, well, this is a place where replacing David Reese, I think, is is critical, right? I mean, you've got you got a linebacker out there who you're replacing who's been out there for four years, and really, you know, against Kentucky a couple of years ago when he wasn't there, it really showed. And that and that's maybe one of the areas where you know guys like Ventrell Miller and and uh, Amari Bernie are going to have to step up. But the interesting thing for me is that you know. Last year, Ole Miss averaged 26.6 points per game, and they gave up 26.5 points per game. Yeah. So you would expect that to be a 500 record. Instead, they were 4-8. and eight. And you mentioned 0-5 in one-score games, which indicates they were kind of unlucky and probably indicates that Matt, look, Matt Luke wasn't a very good on-field coach. Um, if you believe Lane Kiffin is an upgrade, then I think you believe the team is at least 500, um, you know, maybe 7 – well, I guess not 7. You believe they're 5-5 five and five this year, maybe 6-4. and four. And, and obviously Plumley, if he's out there playing, is, is the kind of guy who in the past has given, has given Grantham defenses a little bit of trouble. But, um, you know, I, I think it, the, the first thing's actually an interesting conversation, the conversation about Kiffin and whether you think he's a huge upgrade. And the guy went 7-6 and six at Tennessee, spouted off his mouth, and then left that program. Goes to USC, taking over for Pete Carroll. And, yeah, there were some sanctions there, but got ran out of town after four years and went 28-15. and 15. And considering the Pac-12 and the kind of talent out there that USC has, that, that's not a great record, especially he was 17-12 and 12 in conference. Then he had three years at Florida Atlantic, certainly turned them around the first year, went 11 and three, but then goes five and seven in year two, uh-huh. 10 and three in year three. So, you know, a little bit up and down, but not necessarily, it's not like he was going, I mean, he wasn't going 13 at Utah, right? And and so now he takes over to Ole Miss. And this has sort of been the story of Lane Kiffin his entire career is he gets jobs based on a reputation that hasn't necessarily been earned. And he's going to have to earn this one. I mean, you know, his, his stop at Alabama as the offensive coordinator, it, it helps when you have Jalen Hurts in that offensive line when you're calling plays. It helps when your defense doesn't ever give up anything. Um, and, and he's not going to have that at Ole Miss. And so I suspect because – so Kiffin's offenses almost always are over 30 points per game. So they're going to increase their scoring a little bit. But they were 40th in yards per play last year, which isn't terrible. They just struggled putting it in when they were in the red zone. The place they need to improve is defense because they gave up 26.5 points per game, but they were 76th in yards per play. So they were worse than the than the points that they were giving up. And if that defense doesn't improve, then it's not going to really matter how much the offense scores. So, you know, it, it, you mentioned Durkin. You've got, you've got – do you have the talent on the defensive side of the ball to really make a guy like Kyle Trask sweat, somebody who's really experienced and is going to have the ability to get the ball out regardless of what you throw at him? That's where I think Florida mm-hmm. probably wins this game is the defense is, – is being able to exploit the holes on Ole Miss's defense. Yeah, the, the Florida defense is going to miss a few tackles. They're going to give up a couple of big plays. You hope the big plays turn into field goals as, and that you're able to hold up. But, you know, you, you, there will probably be 14 or 17 points come on explosive plays. The question is going to be what happens to the other 62 plays of the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I suspect there the consistency of Corral and the consistency of Plumlee is, is what Grantham's going to rely on. So while I think people want to see Grantham come out and blitz like crazy, mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of suspect he's probably going to sit back in zone a lot more often, try to force Ole Miss to throw the ball, mm-hmm. get him in third and six, third and seven, force him to throw the ball, and, and just sit back in his zone and make him find the holes. And, and that won't necessarily make for the most exciting defensive football in terms of turnovers and things like that. But if you get him three and out four, five, six times, even with a couple of explosive plays, Florida's going to win the game. Yeah, it's kind of I was going there next. We hit on the defense or what Florida's offense can do too. But yeah, Matt Corral uh, threw for thirteen hundred sixty-three yards last year, six touchdowns, only complete fifty-nine percent uh, clip there. John Rice Plumley, 
Uh, after a running for a team high 1,023 yards and 12 touchdowns, he only completed 53% of his passes, and while the offense ran the ball 63% at the time, Will. So it was not getting a whole lot of the passing game, especially when Plumlee uh, was on the field. So, Will, like you kind of say, man, I think the game plan simple here early on against a new new offense, no matter the quarterback here, tackle in the run game. Um, if, if, if Corral's in there, you can blitz a bit more. But as you kind of said, he, he's, he's athletic as well. I don't think we'll see a whole lot of blitzing if Plumlee's in there. I agree. I don't think we'll see a whole lot uh, out there play contain tackle well when Plumlee's out there. Limit the big play, and that's kind of I think that's the biggest thing there. You know, he's both of these quarterbacks aren't great throwing the ball like you said, so you don't want some kind of scramble heave type of play to beat you here. Um, the Rebels aren't going to hang with Florida by trying to drive the ball over and over the, the course of a game. They're not going to beat Florida that way. They're going to have to hit big play at the big play, uh, and that's the only way I can see you know this Florida defense getting hurt. Um, in, in, in the way we kind of are trying to team everything together from last season and what Lane Kiffin does, he likes the big play. He really does. So I think you, you can, I think his offense thrives on it. And I'm not sure you know, putting drive after drive after drive together in a new offense with these type of quarterbacks is what Lane Kiffin's going to really have a, a lot of success with. You know, descriptive drives early on also. Uh, I, I may be kind of worried there. Todd Grantham kind of, uh, to me, kind of struggles early in, in games, descriptive drives. Lane Kiffin's really good at that, and Todd Grantham, that's probably one of his struggles, uh, I think. So, you know, could Ole Miss get a cheap one or two early or early game early game scores? I think you got to watch out uh, for that part. But if Grantham stops those, I just don't see many successful drives throughout the day. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think a lot of it depends on the discipline of the defensive line, right? I mean, you've got a guy in Brenton Cox who's going to want to come pin his ears back. It's hard <laughs> to pin your ears back against a guy like Plumlee. Yeah. And, and if you get outside of your contain – then it's going to be a struggle. And, and, and that's what we saw against Terry Wilson a couple of years ago where there really wasn't any pressure up front. And the pressure from guys like Slayton, guys like Carter, guys like Dexter, guys like Dunlap is going to be the critical, critical feature. If you can collapse the pocket from the center out, then Ole Miss isn't going to be able to do anything. If they're able to hold up on the interior of the offensive line, then it makes the defensive ends have to sort of dip and stunt and that sort of stuff. And you get caught in a stunt with a running quarterback, and it's going to be a big play. So, um, I, again, I think the success of Florida's defense and the success of their season really kind of hinges on Tadarrell Slayton. He's the guy I look at and say he's what's going to open up the ability of the defense to do a whole lot because a guy like Cox is athletic enough and guys like Moon or Bogle are athletic enough that you might be able to run some zone blitzes if you think that you can get pressure with three or if you think that, you know, you bring Bernie or Miller on a blitz and you drop somebody like Moon or Cox into coverage. Um, those sorts of things can start to get a little bit creative if the middle of your defense is holding up. If the middle of your defense isn't holding up, then you're going to struggle against the run game. And, and to be honest, that's kind of what we've seen the last couple of years. Yep. Uh, on defense for, for, uh, for Ole Miss, co-coordinators Chris Partridge, uh, and then DJ Durkin uh, is you know back at, in, in college football now at Ole Miss, and uh, you know I, I think Halea Durkin. Uh, I think he's a really good coach uh, there. So I think you know him and I think over time him and Lane Kiffin together. I think uh, if they can both stay there at Ole Miss, I think uh, we'll definitely make Ole Miss a pretty good combo there. So I uh, got the work cut cut out for him fixing that Ole Miss secondary. Going to be tough as uh, that they lose two starters on the back end. Will, they gave up an SEC-worst 278 yards per game, lose two starters from that, and that was with a pass rush that had 33 sacks, and they lose almost their entire defensive line. 
So Ole Miss has a lot to figure out, especially in the passing game, creating pressure and and covering wide receivers. They lose their interior playmaker, all SEC uh, defensive tackle Benito Jones. He's gone. Josiah Coatney uh, is gone there as well. Defensive end Austrian Robinson. So they got to replace a whole lot up front. And look, I mean, this is a great test for the Florida passing game early on, Will, to kind of see how you can replace those receivers from last year and and to get Kyle Trask and kind of see where they're at as far as getting getting in sync and getting in rhythm uh, and at the same time it's a test for the offensive line to see some of the steps they've made in giving Trask more time so maybe some of these downfield passing plays can be made against a new look defensive line for Ole Miss so you know Trask given it's given time versus a secondary that really has to prove itself retool itself uh, it, going from bad last year and trying to make something of it with with some new look pieces I mean Florida I mean I tell you, you in, in, in this offense, you know, going against a, a defense that's switching coordinators and switching systems. You know, we may see an offense that looks a lot like toward the end of last season uh, and throwing the ball. Uh, you go back to that FSU game and how the you know, trash was just throwing it all over the yard. I think this is kind of the similar, you know, if Florida can get production out of wide receiver, kind of the way I see this one uh, playing out too. You in with so many faces up front for, for Ole Miss, you know, maybe you set up early in the run, let that help open up the pass. Maybe help some, you know, get some uh, deeper plays down the field uh, with some play action. So with this new look, Ole Miss defensive front, I will be interested to see how Mullen attacks it. Does he want to see how improved the run game is, or does he want to kind of do, or does he want to kind of see where the where the passing game stands? We're replacing so many uh, wide receivers, so I think it uh, I think it might be pretty interesting to see how Mullen comes out and attacks this defense. Yeah, I mean, I think that. The first thing is is that the same thing that applies to all of the reasons that people are picking Florida this year to be good is is something that <laughs> points to Ole Miss probably struggling. It's just that COVID has prevented any of the new any of the new schemes to really be implemented. Obviously, you mentioned all the guys who are leaving on the defensive side of the ball for Ole Miss. And is, and Durkin, while I think highly of him as a coach, and do suspect he's probably going to do some really good things at Ole Miss for two reasons. One is I think he's a good coach, and two, I think it's pretty toxic for anybody to hire him as a head coach based on what went on in Maryland. You know, he's he's going to get the, the ship righted in some respects there, but this is the first game of the year with all brand new players for the most part and a brand new scheme with limited practice time in the fall. I, you know, the, the reality is, is that if, if Ole Miss comes out and really is able to stop the Florida attack, um, I think that says more about Florida than it does about Ole Miss, probably. Um, I, I think... You know, I don't know what to expect from Florida. I think Mullen wants to run the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he wants to build it off running the ball, and I think he's going to want to try to establish that Florida's going to run the ball a lot better this year than they did last year. And, like, he was smart enough last year to really adjust. So the year before with Felipe Franks, they threw the ball like 38% of the time or something like that. And then the next year with with – <laughs> with Trask, they threw the ball away like 61% of the time or something like that. So he clearly made the adjustment. At the same time, I don't think he liked making that adjustment. Like I think he made that adjustment because he had to, and that was what was necessary to win games. And, and so I do. I, I suspect we're going to see a more balanced Florida offense. Whether it's better or not, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I think against a team like Old Miss, where you suspect that you're going to be able to take advantage of them through the air when you want to, that that's an opportunity for you to to challenge your offensive line and say, hey, guys, I'm not going to let 
Kyle sit back there in the pocket against a team we should be able to beat up front because later on in the year, you're going to play against teams where maybe you can't torch them in the past game and you're going to need that offensive line to have the confidence and have built up the continuity to be able to get you the yard or two or three yards that you need in a critical situation. I think approaching Ole Miss that way probably sets you up for more success later on in the year. Yeah, good way to look at it there. Uh, I, I, I like that. And yeah, it really interests to see how this game plays out just because of given Ole Miss's defensive problems and how Mullen decides to attack it early on uh, in the game here. So, all right, well, let's uh, quickly kind of rapid fire get through these over-under superlatives here that we have a lot of fun with and is a lot different this year. Ten SEC games. We usually get 12 games to play along with this and some cupcake games to go along in there with it to kind of help pad some stats and and, and, and players get to some numbers here. So, yeah, 10 SEC games here. And, Will, let's set the let's set the, the number for Kyle Trask. And I uh, went 30 touchdowns. So, last year, Trask and Franks combined and had right at 30 passing touchdowns and added in their rushing touchdowns. And Trask had four. Franks had one. So, you get 35 total touchdowns. But uh, between the two here, so with ten games, uh, and that was in thirteen games, uh, by, by the way as well. So uh, you know, tough given only ten games here, will. And if we if we also expect the run game to improve and Emory and maybe even Richardson getting some goal line carries, you know, I, I still think thirty is a good benchmark for ten SEC games, uh, e- even in a, a season like this and all, all the defenses you're going to be playing this year. I think 30 is a good benchmark uh, to set it here. But, you know, to no fault of Kyle Trask on, uh, and really just because I think things around him get better, I don't think Trask gets 30 touchdowns. Now, I was surprised you set this at 30 because that means he's throwing three touchdowns a game, which... I, you know, I was including rushing, too. But, you know, that, well, well, but, but he's not... Still, yeah, yeah, but he's not going <laughs> to... I mean, if, if evidence from last year is any indication, um, those rushing touchdowns from the quarterback position are probably going to go to Emory Jones, right. which is one, or maybe even Anthony Richardson, So, which is one of the reasons why I think you're not going to get there. The other reason is, you know, three touchdowns a game means he's chucking it all over the place. And, and you know, this isn't a year where you can put five touchdowns up against the Citadel and four touchdowns up against Middle Tennessee State, and all of a sudden you get nine heading into the SEC schedule. I mean, this is something where you got to come out and hit it straight from the jump. Um, uh, yeah, but, but given of, to it as well, you know, Trask didn't play in every game last year. He didn't play Miami. He didn't play the second game of the season. Or he did, but, of course, it was mop-up duty time. Uh, so, you know, that, that kind of plays into – and he only played, what, late second half of the third quarter, fourth quarter versus Kentucky. So, you know, that kind of almost equals out to the 10 games that we saw from last year. Right? And to, yeah, I mean, this year. If you'd have told me 25, I would have had a tough time taking the under on yeah. that. I, I just I, – I think – he threw for 25 last year. I think he played 11 games when you count the Kentucky game. Um, you, you know, he, he's all of a sudden going to jump five with one last game. I, I just think, again, when I look at it, I say three touchdowns a game. That That's a lot to ask because if he only, ha- only quote-unquote, has two, then um, – you know, if, if he's only got two, then 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 he's got to get four the next game. And, and I just think that's a tough pace to uphold, especially when you consider rushing touchdowns going to go to Emory. That's just the reality. So um, I'm going to take under on that one. You took under two. I'm not sure why we're arguing about it because we, yeah. <laughs> we both well, yeah, And another high. reason is, you know, there is this big thought out there that he takes this big Joe Burrow leap. And if he takes that big Joe Burrow leap, then 30 is a number that he can hit. I mean, that, and a lot of people see that uh, or, or – the question if he can take that type of leap. 
He's not. <laughs> that's why I'm going. Well, I mean, what, what, that's why I'm going under thirty. When was the 30. last time somebody took a Joe Burrow leap before Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow, exactly. Yeah. There's a reason it's called the Joe Burrow leap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so going from going from Felipe Franks to Joe Burrow, which is essentially what Joe Burrow did. I mean, he was he and Franks were right. almost identical yep. quarterbacks from a performance perspective in 2018. 2019, Burrow takes a big step forward, and everybody looks and goes, "Well, you know, Trask was pretty good when he came in. He hasn't played in a while, so he's going to improve considerably just because he hasn't played." I think all those things are true. I just don't think Mullen necessarily wants to chuck the ball all over the yard the way LSU just said, ah, to hell with it. We're going to throw it everywhere. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think that's what Mullen wants to do. I nope. don't think it's probably a wise thing to do in a season with COVID where you don't want your defense out there for 90 plays. And let's not forget, as much as, I mean, LSU obviously goes 15-0, and 0, it's, it's a successful season. But that defense really struggled at times. And one of the mm. reasons it struggled is because the offense kept them on the field a lot. Um, doesn't matter if you're scoring 50 points a game, obviously, but... I, that was a special circumstance for that for that LSU team. I don't think Florida has Jamar Chase at wide receiver either, and I think that makes a difference too. Thankfully, LSU doesn't have him either. But uh, um, you know, Jamar Chase is a pretty good player too, and and I think uh, you know Trevon Grimes is good, but but he ain't Jamar Chase. So I I, I think thirty is pushing it. But hey, if if he gets thirty one, I'm I'm going to be as happy as anybody because I think that means Florida is really 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 good. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Pierce, seven hundred and fifty rushing yards. You know the number we usually set for running backs here is a, is a thousand yards. Uh, uh, you know, Florida hasn't had one since, what, Kelvin Taylor, I believe. Uh, Mullen doesn't really have a history of, uh, of running backs getting that much either. And so many carries as well to, you know, to where they put a ton of stats uh, over the rest of the running backs. So you know, between splitting carries among other running backs, a QB run game, other gadget plays to get other guys involved, you know, carries just don't go to, to, to one guy over and over. So uh, because of those reasons, too, I don't think Pierce could even get 750 yards. Does he have the ability? I think so. Uh, just not the chances. So much running back depth for Florida. You go four or five deep there. Pierce will lead the way. Uh, he'll be number one running back, but uh, no, nah, I just don't see 750 rushing yards. So I guess the question is, do you think he's going to get 130 carries? Because uh, So LaMichael P. Ryan had 132 carries last year. Yeah. Pierce had 54, and that was against an off, or that was with an offensive line that really struggled, and he still averaged 5.6 yards mm-hmm. per rush, which is a half a yard more per rush than LaMichael P. Ryan averaged. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, Pierce was mopping up a few times and hit some big runs, but at the same time, 305 yards on 54 carries, if you think he's going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 to 150 carries, he, he clears 750 pretty easily. In 10 games, so, I, I don't see it with a running back depth. I just, I just don't see it. So you don't think he's going to get 13, 13 carries a game? No. I'm taking the over, man. Yeah. I, oh, okay. I look at it and I say, I think he's the most gifted running back that they have in the roster in terms of just being able to carry the rock. Now, maybe yeah. Lingard will prove me wrong, but, but I think Pierce is a guy who fits what Mullen wants to do. He's the guy who, when you've got, say, Emory Jones and Damian Pierce in the backfield – on a third and one, you don't know who you're going to give the ball to because it's not just a quarterback keeper. It's not like the Patriots last night where everybody in the world knew that Cam Newton was going to keep the ball. You won't know that, right? Because Pierce has the ability to get hit in the backfield and still turn into a two or three yard gain. I think as Mullen sees that going through the year, um, you know, if he can prove that he can catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit, he's going to be out there quite a bit. And, you know, if you go back to, if, if you go back to the year before, you know, LaMichael P. Ryan had 134 carries and Jordan, Jordan Scarlett had 131. Mm-hmm. 
So maybe he only gets 110 carries and then 750 is pushing it. But I tend to believe that Mullen is going to be much more focused on running the ball this year. And with that, I think Damian Pierce can get the ball. So I'm going to go over 750. All right. Uh, 40 catches, any pass catcher. And I had to say any pass catcher. Couldn't say wide receiver because we kind of got in conundrum last year with, with Kyle Pitts there and the tight end slash wide receiver there. So I'm going 40 catches, any pass catcher uh, there. That number is usually set at 50, I believe, when we do a uh, a full a full 12-game schedule here. Jefferson ended 2019 with 49 catches, led wide receivers in 13 games uh, there. So, you know, this would be nine less in three less games. Uh, so the emergence of Kyle Pitts took away some chances for, you know, more receptions for wide receivers as he led the team with 54 receptions in 13 games. So uh, good for about four receptions a game. So I think, you know, 40 receptions would be a good number here. Uh, Florida spread the ball around so much because of depth at the wide receiver position last year and, and including Pitts in that too. So, Will, I think Pitts will still be the guy here. Defenses will focus uh, so much on him. Even with all that, I'm going to I'm gonna take over here. Uh, I think the offense becomes uh, more balanced overall, but I, you know, I think it's hard seeing a player like Pitts, kind of like kind of going what you were saying with, with Pierce and 10 carries a game. I think it's hard to see Pitts and you know, not get four or more receptions a game. Uh, right now, the only SEC game he didn't get at least four receptions in last season was Vanderbilt, and that was a blowout game. You know, probably took you know, I have to go, but kind of back and look, but probably not on the field a whole lot uh, in blowout fashion in that game. So, in 10 SEC games, he's going to be targeted, he's going to be a mismatch out there with all the attention. You're on mute, Will. You did it again. <laughs> uh, I did it again. I'm going over, I'm going over for. In a, in a big way, I think two guys at least are going to have 40 catches. Oh, nice. Uh, I, I suspect, you know, you got to replace 27 catches for Hammond. you got to replace 38 for Swain. you got to replace 49 for Van Jefferson. 33 for Grimes. He had 38 the year before, I think. So from the standpoint of just somebody who's sitting there right on the border, granted, that's a couple extra games. But at the same time, there's going to be a lot more balls heading his way. Um, you know, and, and then I think what I said about the kick returner and the punt returner earlier that um, – you know, it's just with Tony being the kick returner and the punt returner, I think that that indicates that they're going to have to go with the three or four top wide receivers and they're not going to spread it around to six, seven, eight guys. And so I think that is going to lend itself to having more than two guys with 40 catches. Okay, moving on. Offense, 30 points per game here. 2018, just over 30 at 30.8 versus FBS opponents. I think it's very important to look at this versus FBS opponents because that's exactly what we're getting this year <laughs> for, for all the 10 SEC games here. So in 2018, Mullen's first year, 30.8, so barely over that, and up that to 31.7 last year versus FBS opponents. So, you know, average 33 points per game in the last three FBS games last year, Will, so three points over the total uh, there. So in year one with a new offense, in transition for McIlwain, still got over 30 points per game. Last year with no run game, managed to do it again. So 10 SEC games, give it to me anyway, over 30 points per game for the Gators offense. Yeah, I'm... This is really right at the number. Yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned the, the schedule this year is is more difficult than maybe I would have thought coming in. Um, you know, you, you've got all the things going on with, with not having time to prepare, breaking in the new receivers. We saw with Georgia last year with all the new wide receivers they had to break in, how the offense struggled. You do wonder whether maybe that sort of kicks them early where, you know, they're waiting for wide receivers to, to step up. And, you know, they put up 21, 24, 27 in the first three or four games of the year. 
you know, maybe you're putting up 40 by the end, but is it enough to catch up? I, I think I'll probably take the slight under. I don't know that they'll necessarily average 30 points per game, but be really close to that number. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're sitting there at 29 and a half or 30.5. I think it's a pretty good number, but I'll take a slight under on the offensive side. Uh, defense, 21 points per game. So uh, gave up 22.2 versus FBS opponents in 2018. So they hit that over in 2018 with this and did better last year, 2019, with only 18.3 versus FBS opponents. So 21s, I think, is a good number here again. And I think there's a chance to hold Ole Miss, South Carolina, Missouri, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, maybe even Tennessee to under that 21-point-per-game mark. Uh, so that's six games there, more than half the schedule. And now some of these could turn into a shootout while a game like versus LSU or Kentucky or Georgia could turn into a low-scoring affair. Uh, I like the makeup of this defense. I like the speed of this defense, speed all over the field uh, for this defense. But uh, I, this one's close, Will. I think uh, if they get under 21 points per game, I, I, I don't think they'll hit the 18.3 like they did last year versus FBS opponents. So I, I'm thinking probably somewhere in that 19-20 range there. It raises just a bit from last year. Yeah, I'm going to go under, and I'm going to go under considerably. I, I think, um, you know, we're about to see what Grantham can do with guys that have been recruited for his program specifically. I mean, guys like guys like Bernie, Diabate, Bogle, Dexter, yeah. even, in, you know, Cox, those sorts of guys are guys who, you know, weren't in the system and have been brought in because they fit the system, whereas he's been sort of trying to fit, you know, square pegs into round holes pretty much since he got there. He's done a pretty good job of doing that. I mean, you know, against um, all opponents last year, they were averaging, what, like 15 points per game. So um, I'm going to go under. I think it's going to be considerably under. I'm expecting Florida's defense to be really, really good this year. I'm expecting Florida to be really, really good this year, but I'm expecting the defense to be really, really good this year. And, in fact, I think if Florida's going to go where they want to go, their defense is going to have to be good this year. So I'm going to take under, way under. I'm thinking they're probably around – 16, 16 and a half points. And for a pure SEC schedule, um, that, that would be really, really good. Yep. Um, this one's always fun. Will Sachs, and I set it at 35. I usually set it at 30 anyway with 12 games. But after the first two years, I've learned my lesson. we gotta, we got to raise that a bit. So in 10 games, we'll raise it up to 35, 49 sacks last year, Will. So 13 games and th- it had 37 sacks in 2018. Uh, so 49 sacks last year, like I said. So, you know, to start the season last year with 10 versus Miami, ended the season with eight versus FSU uh, there. So, you know, Jonathan Gennard led the way last year with nine and a half. But you do have Zachary Carter, Mamou Diabate coming back. They have four and a half. Last year as well. So in two seasons under Grantham, you know, this hasn't been an issue. Average about three, four sacks a game uh, last season. I'll go over here once again. Uh, you know, playing these new offenses, Old Miss, Missouri, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, um, you know, will help pad the stats here uh, a bit. We need to, sh- of course, see it show up versus Georgia in their new look offense, no look, new look offensive line. Uh, you know, get shut out there again. It might be difficult to get 35 sacks, but I do think uh, Gators will get over 35 sacks. Yeah, I've learned my lesson on this one. I've, I've always <laughs> doubted where Grantham's going to get pressure from. And then over the course of the year, he gets an awful lot of pressure. Um, and, you know, the reality is we still get to play Tennessee this year and we still get to play Vanderbilt this year. So that's that's at least like 12. And, <laughs> and, and, and so you're already well on your way. And the other thing is, is and I think this is something that uh, that has made me 
really energetic about this year and really energetic about this defense is that all reports are that Brenton Cox is playing really, really well. And if he turns out to be a difference maker at defensive end, like you know, Jabari Zuniga was a good player. Jonathan Grenard was a really good player. Brenton Cox, if he plays to his potential, has the opportunity to be a first-round draft pick. And those sorts of guys, if they go out and play to their full potential and are able to and are able to really go out there and 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 just wreak havoc all over the place and allow Florida's defense to only rush four in situations where in the past they would have blitzed, um, I, I, I think. I think Grantham has a knack for finding those guys, a knack for teaching those guys, and a knack for getting them to the quarterback. And especially as you get more and more talent up there, he's going to be able to isolate those guys in good situations and get them there. So I'm going to take way over. I think Cox may end up with nine or ten sacks by himself. Um, And then if all you got to do is fill in the 25 against Vanderbilt, then we're all good to go. There we go. There we go. So now let's move on to the superlatives. Before we wrap up here, ultimate game changer. Will, you stole my thunder there. A little bit of prediction here. I'm going Brenton Cox uh, on defense. I think a a polite type of impact here. And more so, you know, Grenard, I think, was better overall than than what Jacob Polite brought to the table. But I'm talking about more like on the big sacks on third downs and the hits in the backfield that causes havoc and turnovers. I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of a projecting here a bit, but Cox lives up to that potential. He will become the ultimate game changer for this Gator defense. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good pick. I think uh, obviously if the defense is going to get us to where we want to go, that's 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 one of the places you'd focus. Um, for me, the ultimate game changer is going to be Kyrie Elam. Like he's a guy who over the the last half of the season last year proved that he has the ability to potentially be a lockdown corner. Certainly a lot of people picking him for all SEC honors and even even some, uh, you know, All-America honors this year coming into the year. And you look at a guy who, if he can shut down the side like C.J. Henderson was able to shut down the side last year, and then you got Marco Wilson on the other side. If the defense can't throw, if the quarterback has to hold on to the ball, then that's obviously when it sort of lets a guy like Cox eat. Vice versa, if Cox can get to the quarterback, all of a sudden you got balls floating up towards Elam, and Elam's shown that he's going to be able to go and get it. So I think it's a little bit of a tandem. One, you know, one guy playing well is going to help the other. But uh, but I'm going to take I'm going to take Elam as the as the ultimate game changer. There you go. Kind of goes into our next one. Best tandem. There you go. I'm I'm following up there. Marco and Elam. I mean, I, that's the best tandem on the team. There. You, know, you could go receivers if you believe it. They'll take that step. You could. Uh, maybe go a couple of rushers. Maybe if you want to do Moon and Cox, you could you could say that. Or maybe you could go Malik Davis and Damian Pierce. Or you could heck, you could probably even go Kyle Trask and Emory Jones if you if you want to kind of go best tandem there. But I'm going to go Marco Wilson, Kyrie Elam. Both were named All SEC Second Team by SEC coaches uh, within the last week. There, they, I think it's a no brainer. Uh, I think Marco Wilson got better as the season went on last year, kind of returning the form. Toward the end of last year, Kyrie Elam, we all knew the steps he took toward the end of last year as well. The great bowl game. Best tandem goes to the cornerback duo for the Gators. Yeah, you, you stole my thunder a little bit there because you named every duo that was on the team. But <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to take Trask and Emory. There Jones. we go. I, nice. I think. I think at the end of the day, Trask showed last year that he can get the ball to the right guy in space and let them go. I think Emory Jones has yet to show that, but at the same time came in in that Auburn game when Trask was hurt and let a big important drive in order to get, get Florida a field goal and sort of steady the tide until Trask was able to come back in. 
you know, one of the stats that I track that I came up with is something called yards above replacement that tries to factor in the way a quarterback runs and the way a quarterback throws in terms of his overall value and being able to have a backup who has that other skill set that Trask maybe doesn't have really, I think, adds something to the offense. You know, we saw this with Tebow and Leak in 2006. Um, you know, we've seen that in the we saw it a little bit last year with Trask and Emery. But let's be honest, they didn't really plan. I don't think mm. I think once it became clear that Trask was the backup quarterback. Emory Jones probably had a couple of packages and that was about it. He wasn't getting a whole lot of reps in fall camp coming into the coming into the season just because they had to make sure Trask was ready. And obviously that was the right choice because Trask was ready when he came into the game. This year they've had an entire offseason, granted one that's been sort of weird, but they've had an entire offseason where Trask is the incumbent starter and Jones now sort of has his role as the change of pace. And I think they're going to have a much better plan for how to use Emory this year. And so when you factor in sort of being able to have both guys on the field at the same time, do some creative things. Maybe you put Emery out at wide receiver and have a throwback to him. Uh, maybe you put him and Emery and Tony out on the field and you do some creative things because Tony can throw the ball. Um, I just think that when it really comes to being creative within Dan Mullen's offense, I think it opens up a lot of things. So I'm going to go with those guys as the best tandem. Awesome. Awesome. Their uh, breakout player kind of hit this on the Gator panel last week. I'm going Mamou Diabate. I'm starting with his his smarts uh, here. Might be the smartest player on the team and at a position that needs kind of that that cerebral type of player there, Will. Uh, you know, especially going back to a, a season ago and we've talked about it a couple of times, but you know, breaking down run plays in front of him, especially that LSU South Carolina game back to back to back where linebackers just out of position so much. Yeah. Uh, have guys in the right place, and he can do that. Uh, now, not at every down linebacker, and I do wonder, uh, you know, about him being there in obvious rundown situations. I don't think he'll be there all that much. Uh, he can pass rush off the edge, giving him uh, plenty of opportunities that we saw last year, and with, with all that, making plays all over the field. So, you know, you could say he had a breakout game last year versus Vanderbilt, but I think if we look at a season in totality here, I th- I'm going to go uh, Diabate for my breakout player. And he needs to have that breakout game against Georgia. That's all I there ask. There we go. It be against Georgia. So my back, my breakout player is Kadarius Tony. Uh, he, he's one of those guys who's been really tantalizing over the last couple of years, but he's always been sort of the fifth option, right? Mm-hmm. And he's been and he's been injured a little bit too, but he's always been the fifth option. And and the the maddening thing is that when he's on the field, he averages 10, 10 yards a touch. And sometimes he loses four, but that means the next time he gains 40. <laughs> and, and, and you know, the game against Florida State obviously showed he could break ankles. The game against Miami showed what he can do there as well. Um, he hasn't been able to show it consistently, consistently, but he's shown flashes. And I think with all of the senior wide receivers who left, he's going to have to show it this year. And, you know, I don't know whether he's going to be one of those guys who passes the 40 catch threshold, but I think, you know, in the past, he's gotten maybe 25 touches for an entire year. I think you're probably looking more like 45 or 50 touches for Tony this year when you combine both ground and through the air. And for a guy who averages 10 yards, a, 10 yards a touch, that means he's going to be really involved in what the offense does. And I think if he can stay healthy, we'll look and plus, you know, kick return and punt return, he's going to be involved too. So um, I think when we look back at this season, if he can stay injury for Tony, maybe the guy that we say is the most explosive guy at wide receiver. And and so I'm going to take him as the breakout player. Cause he only had 10 catches last year. If he has 32, 33, 34 catches, you know, three a game that, that means he's probably going to hit six, seven, eight big plays and, and really, really take this offense to a different level. 
All right. No respect here. No respect player. I'm going Ventro Miller. Uh, second on the team in tackles last season, 55 tackles. And well, I, I think I hit this one pretty good a couple years ago. It was uh, Michael P. Ryan. So it did that one pretty good. Uh, I think last year, I think I might have picked uh, Malik Davis. But uh, um, yeah, no respect uh, here. Uh, you know, also had three sacks on the season. Did Ventro Miller after, like I said, second teams with 55 tackles. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, some improvement is definitely needed. Uh, you know, be in better position, like I kind of was saying with, with the Abate, kind of what he br- can bring to the table, be in better position when breaking down run plays, fill your gap, know your assignment, uh, and, and improvement can happen. So, you know, it, just kind of going back to that whole, if we believe in the staff's ability to develop, I think Ventro Miller is one of those guys I think we can key in on here. And then, look, he's trying to step up as a leader, too, with David Reese going. So, has some shoes to fill there. Lost weight to be able to, to be able to move a little bit more fluid. Coaches respect him by putting him second team preseason All-SEC as well. So, highly respected uh, around the SEC. So, Ventro Miller's uh, going to get my no respect card, who kind of just kind of com- comes out this year. Yeah, I have two guys, I think, who sort of fit that bill. Um, the first is Donovan Steiner, who I think certainly has some athletic limitations, but at the same time seems to be in the right place at the safety position. And I think in some respects, all of the craziness of the offseason sort of lends itself to guys who are in the right place and maybe not quite as athletically gifted, but able to put themselves in a good position to succeed on a more consistent basis. You know, because the quarterback and the wide receiver aren't always going to be in sync. And if the safety is in the right spot, then all of a sudden some opportunities for interceptions are going to pop up some opportunities to break up some passes that maybe you didn't break up last year because everybody was perfectly in rhythm, especially early on in the year. I don't know that the quarterbacks and wide receivers are going to be in rhythm and, and Steiner may be somebody who can take advantage of that. The other guy I had listed was Trey Dean. He's been playing out of position since he came to Gainesville. Mm. They have had him at they've had him as a boundary corner. They've had him essentially at the star, which for the most part is a slot these days because of the way the different offenses are being run in the SEC. And now he's moving back to safety. And I think he's proven that he struggles in coverage, but I think he's also proven that he at least has some coverage skills. So if you have him on the fourth or fifth best wide receiver and you have him doing coverage, I think he can be somebody who really brings value to a defense. I think if you have him up against the best receiver or the second best receiver on the opposition, you've got some problems. But, um, you know, one of the things that we noticed last year was a bunch of broken plays behind the safeties where those guys were in coverage and either didn't know what they were supposed to do or didn't have the athletic ability to keep up. I think with Dean back there, that might be something that, uh, that goes by the wayside. All right, best kept secret. I'm going on national scale here, just like I did last year. This is where I had Malik Davis. Uh, and now, you know, going through fall camp and, as I said, kind of depth chart. He's kind of on top of the depth chart here. Go through fall camp, getting rave, re- rave reviews. You know, he, Mullen's letting him talk to the media a bit more. He says he's more confident than coming back from the injury there. Mullen has singled him out many times, especially when talking about kind of uh, receiving threat out of the backfield here. So Malik Davis going here, second year in a row. Well, I'm going for my best kept secret. So maybe he'll, maybe he'll get it this year. Maybe he'll get it. Uh, we know the home run threat he can bring if he can get anywhere back to that 2017 form. Yeah, I'm going to Mari Bernie. So I look at the versatility that he brought between linebacker and star last year. There were some times where he was in coverage where he did an outstanding job. There were some times where, you know, I would have liked to have seen him fill a hole a little bit better on, on the, at, you know, when he was playing more of a linebacker position. Certainly struggled a little bit to stay healthy last year as well. But, um, you know, the guy's got all the skills that you need to be a hybrid sort of linebacker, really a coverage linebacker, right? So an outside linebacker. I, I expect Bernie to really shine, especially when Florida comes up against teams who 
have that guy at tight end who who has the ability to go out and you need somebody to be able to cover him one-on-one especially down the seam so I, I think Bernie well we all thought maybe he was going to take a big step forward last year and we saw flashes but we didn't really see him put everything together I think this year may be the year where he puts everything together and all of a sudden you know halfway through the year people are talking about Amari Bernie as being one of the keys to Florida's defense playing at the level that they're playing at all right, and then last one, biggest shoes to fill. I'm going to go with the receiver here. You probably could go with with, with many of them. I'll go Trevon Grimes, uh, of course. And he's looked to be upon that that number one receiver takeover for Je- Van Jefferson, Trevon, uh, Freddie Swain here. Uh, but yeah, I'll go with Trevon Grimes. Kind of just looked at to be you know highly rated recruit, transfer from Ohio State. Uh, it's his it's his time now, Will. Yeah, and all those senior receivers are gone. Uh, it's, it's his time to step up, be the number one receiver. So. You know, I think we're all expecting him to take that ne- that next leap. So, biggest shoes to fill, I'm going to Vaughn Grimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to Michael Pirine. So, you, you look at what Florida's offense did last year when they got in trouble, they went to Pirine. When they needed to set up a matchup with the defense, they split Pirine out wide. When the defense was coming on a blitz, Pirine was the guy that you knew was in front of Trask, and Trask trusted him, even if there was a breakdown in the offensive line. Um, you know, it, are they going to have to do it by committee, right? Is it going to be Pierce is the running, running back, Davis is the catching running back, and you know Lingard is the blocking running back? If that happens, you're going to really feel sort of things constrict on the defense just because the, when the defense knows what the running back is in there to do, it makes the offense a lot more predictable. Pirine prevented them from being predictable, even in an environment where they couldn't really run the ball very well. Um, he prevented them from being predictable. So I think all the versatility that he showed is one of the reasons that he got drafted in the NFL, right? It wasn't necessarily his pure running ability. It was the versatility, you know, sort of a, a, a lesser version of like Le'Veon Bell in terms of what he was able to do there on the on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know that any of the guys who are coming in have that same pedigree. Obviously, you know, you're picking Malik Davis to have a big year. If Davis has a big year, then 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 he will have filled Piran's shoes. But considering all the stuff that Piran did on the field and then the leadership component, right? He was one of the guys who clearly bought into Mullen, bought into what Mullen was doing, bought into what the program was turning into and helped. I'm sure there, there are times all along the way when you're recruited by one guy and a new guy comes in, that leadership matters. And Pirine was one of those guys who brought leadership as well. Um, the senior wide receivers brought an awful lot of leadership. But when it came to getting the trophy at the end of those bowl games, Pirine was almost always the guy up there with Mullen. So I do think there's a leadership component that needs to be replaced as well. And we'll see who can step up into that role. Well, there we go. We'll see what the uh, end of the season looks like there, Will, and how much, uh, how much fun we'll have coming back and looking at all of this. Hey man, real football, real football, yes. and, you know, and then, and then the JV starts in what, like October, late October. So, Think so. Um, you know, we'll have lots of arguments about whether an eight and two record in the SEC trumps seven and one in the in the Big Ten, or you know, that's pretty much your latest uh, at reading reaction, right? To give our listeners a preview of that. Yeah, I raked the Big Ten over the coals a little bit, especially because the reaction to the Big Ten coming back was, oh, they sold their soul and turned into the SEC. And it's like, oh, you know, you guys have been, uh, or either like getting, been pretending. Or, or also getting praised at the same time by some. 
Well, I mean, again, I, I think you can come down on either side when it comes to COVID-19. I don't necessarily fault people who look at the data and come up with a different conclusion. The issue I have with the Big Ten is that the data hasn't changed, yeah. at least not in my mind. The, the data hasn't really changed, and they changed their decision, which really just indicates that they're admitting that they're wrong. But instead of admitting that they're wrong, they've got local, they've got you know people who um, graduated from Big Ten schools writing writing hit pieces basically comparing them to the you know oh they've turned into the sec as though the big 10 wasn't a business wasn't taking in a bunch of money and doesn't have all these scandals that are way worse than just changing <laughs> your mind on whether you're going to play or not um yeah that does, that's not to say the sec isn't clean that's not or that it, the sec is clean that's not to say the sec doesn't have any of these scandals but the sec in my mind doesn't really pretend to be something different than what they are right we know they pay the players <laughs> like we're aware <laughs> that those sorts of things go on of the background and quite honestly for the most part sec programs kind of proud about it right it's like hey if it, the the, the step, step up to the plate <laughs> the gamesmanship is part of the the fun and and sort of the uh the the culture of, of football down here and the big Ten's always sort of been up above it with their leaders and legends divisions and you know i i just i, I had a little bit of fun with them and 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 took them to task a little bit and let's be honest it's always fun to bash the big Ten a little bit yeah, yeah. Uh, what you got coming up? Will you uh, previewing the uh, game this week? Yeah, yeah. So we'll have a we'll have an old Miss preview. I'm also planning on doing a, a a little bit of something that's a little bit different, a film study on the uh, on the offensive line. So those will be two right. things that are coming up this week. And and we're starting to starting to ramp up a little bit. Uh, just just. Uh, you know, obviously we'll have some stuff. Nick's writing a little bit more for the site too, so we're going to have some uh, some previews, and and he's probably going to do, be doing some stuff that's following some of the other SEC programs. Okay. So if if you miss some stuff throughout the week, if you want to know how George is doing, those sorts of things, really in relation to how it is, how they are preparing for Florida and what it sort of means for Florida, that's sort of the type of stuff that'll be on there. And if you're watching the YouTube version, Will, what you got behind you there? Yeah, there have been a couple of comments in the, in the comments section about this. My good buddy, Stephen Marino, he owns a company called My Prince Inc. out in Los Angeles. And real small business, been hurt by COVID a little bit. And he and I were talking. So this is a fabric that's backlit with a photo that I sent him that's been printed out. And so that these backlightable fabrics are pretty cool. So he can set you up with something like this. MyPrinceInc.com, check it out. He's, he's a good friend. And, and certainly with, with all of the shutdowns and stuff like that that's been going on in Los Angeles, he's been impacted by COVID more than, more than some other people may. Maybe. So if you if you have an interest to have something down in your man cave, um, give him a shout out. Let him know that, 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 that I sent him your way. I'm not getting any kickbacks from it. I just want a good friend to succeed. So uh, thanks for reaching out if you want it. If, if you think this is cool, t check it out. What's the site again, Will? It's myprinceinc.com. All right. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Cool looking thing there, Will. So, uh, and well, it was just a blank wall. People have been complaining that I, <laughs> that I, that I, I moved my, well, it used to be, I had a bunch of like leaves and stuff from my kids, like in the background from their little play area. Yeah. Then I got a desk and all I had was a blank wall behind it. So I've been, he and I have been talking about this for three or four weeks now and finally got it set up. So, um, you know, it, it, I wanted something that was a little bit unique. So it's my, it's my yeah. photo, but, but having it backlit, I think it's kind of cool. It looks awesome. looks awesome. That's Will Miles, you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Uh, later this week, there will be a big Ole Miss preview. I'll get the Ole Miss media member uh, to get with me, and we'll preview uh, the Ole Miss Rebels. So guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>